Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Cool. So, here we are. We are on the last week of the One Series. Uh, This has been uh, an incredible... uh, season of just trying to uh, take us as a church coming out of the pandemic, uh, wrestling with all kinds of different uh, tensions in the body. You see it on your social media feed. Uh, You see it in the conversations you're having. You see it in the news. And to just say, as we emerge from the pandemic, we want to be one church, one body. And we've been anchoring our series around um, Ephesians chapter 4. And really this this incredible idea that Paul had that, hey, this mass of truth, this massive reality uh, that, uh, that we believe in, that we have, uh, well, we can just look at the, the Ephesians text again and just read it sort of maybe one last time uh, before we uh, orient ourselves into the last phase of the text that's coming on the screen right now. Um, looking at that Ephesians text where we have one God, there's one body and one spirit, Call to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That these massive realities are, are so much bigger. They, they unite us. They draw us together. They make us one uh, in a way that is way more powerful than any of the smaller things that can kind of tear us apart and distract us and cause the body to be fractured. So we want to anchor ourselves around these one things, these, these ones. But what we have to do as, as we do that is we recognize that, you know, while we're anchored around those things, there are other things that are maybe less important, but still significant things that we need to wrestle through as a body and that uh, others need to wrestle through. Uh, there's some challenges for us there, and the church has always found itself uh, struggling over with unity over secondary issues, right? There's this rock-solid core of Christian theology that we can all uh, gather around that are some boundaries uh, for us. Uh, doctrinally, you know, Paul calls the church leaders to guard sound doctrine. Like, if you believe these things, you're part of the family of God. If you don't believe these things, you're, you're on your way to making your way into the family of God. You haven't got there. You haven't figured it out. And there's some moral things in the scriptures that are absolutely rock solid. Paul is really clear uh, on following the, the Jewish teaching on, on a Christian sexual ethic, on uh, adultery, on uh, you know theft and lies and murder and all of these kinds of things. He's unequivocal that these are rock solid. But there are things that are less solid, things that are less sure, things that are unknown, and the church has always wrestled with them. Um, it's always wrestled with these moments where it's like, yes, it is okay. Christians should be free to do this thing. While some others in the church are saying, no, it's not okay. Christians should not be free to do this thing. And we've wrestled with it back and forth, and there have been, been just really whole eras in church life that have been about the kind of division. There's been that kind of wrestling that we've had to go through a number of times. But this isn't something that is new to our time. This, this really isn't. This is something that was happening even in the early church. It was happening in Paul's time. And so we want to go to uh, 1 Corinthians. We, go, we want to go to that little church in Corinth. 
And just look at what they went through and look at how Paul uh, began to address them. Uh, We talked a little bit out of Romans last week, dealing with similar issues. Now Paul's uh, writing to the people in Corinth. Uh, What you see on your screen uh, is going to be a a picture of the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth. That's what's left of it uh, now. But at the time of Paul, it it was a thriving uh, community. It was a, an incredible piece of architecture and a complex all around it of different buildings, huts and markets and all kinds of different things. And people would come to that temple. Um, pagan people would come and that's where they would offer sacrifice. That's where they would uh, come and sacrifice to this god or that god. And they would say, hey, we need our crops to grow, so have some meat. Uh, kill this animal and the gods will be appeased and he'll make my crops grow. Uh, Whatever it is, all those kinds of different sacrifices, uh, ritual sacrifice in the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth um, and also ritual sexual activity in that that temple as well, like a brutal pagan uh, place. And the Christians who had come to faith in that space, in and around that city, uh, in that temple had sort of said, hey, uh, we have this pagan culture that we're, we're stuck in, that we're, we're, we're a part of, and, and we're called to live differently. We, we can't sort of come in under this thing. We, we have to do a different way of living. But what does that mean? It, it raises questions. It actually raises questions about our diet. Like, what do we, what do we eat? There's meat that's been sacrificed in this temple And uh, it's sort of offered to the priests, and the priests kill the animal. And there's so much of this happening that it's not like the priests just can't eat all this meat. So uh, the meat gets sold off in the market. So in the market, there's some of this meat that is uh, just, you know, coming off the farm and being sold in the market. And some of it's coming out of the temple and being sold in the market. And we, we can't tell which is which. So what do, we, what do we do with that? And there were three uh, different sort of postures around that in the church in Corinth. And what they'd done is they'd written a letter to Paul and said, hey, Paul, can you untangle us? Because we're in a fight here. We're disagreeing. Uh, some of us think this is okay. Some of us think it's not okay. How do we, how do we make this decision together? Uh, there's, there's sort of three responses to it. Of course, I, just a note here, Paul in is absolutely unequivocally clear in 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 22, that you're not to eat meat sacrificed to idols in the temple as a ritual act of worship to the gods that are behind the idol. Like temple uh, involvement, involvement in that place, that's, that, is, that is off limits. You can't worship idols and worship God. You can't have fellowship with demons is what he actually says. So that's off limits. So there's a, there's a firm boundary there. But once that meat has gotten into the market and it's there, um, is it okay? And there's, there were three responses. Some said, no, you can't have that meat. It, it, it's, it's going to make you spiritually impure. It's corrupted. It's going to change you. It, it's, it, it's, there's something demonic attached to it. And if you eat that meat, you're going to have demons attached to you. You can't do it. And some Christians said, no, it's clean. Uh, it, it's clean. Like God has, God has redeemed it. I can't tell what's the good meat and what's the bad meat. So I can trust God. He's bigger uh, than, than idols. He's bigger than demons. I can go ahead and eat that meat, but, but I'm not going to because for me it's a slippery slope. If I eat the meat that's sacrificed, uh, that's, that's come to the market, I'm, I'm going to want to go and eat meat in the temple because I like meat. And I'm going to get caught up in something I shouldn't get caught up in. So it might be okay, but I'm not going to do it because uh, it, it's going to lead me to a bad place. 
And we see this with people, you know, we've had friends that have wrestled with alcoholism or drug use. And when they're early in their faith, uh, you would say, hey, I'm fine. I can have a glass of wine. And they're going to say, no, I I can't do it. Because if I have a glass of wine with you, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a beer with my buddies. And if I have a beer with my buddies, I'm going to be doing drugs again. And I'm going to be caught in a life I don't want to get caught in. So I'm going to set that boundary around it for me. I, I know it's uh, theologically, ideologically okay to have wine, but for me it's a slippery slope and it's going to lead me into something bad. And then other people were saying, hey, yeah, food doesn't matter. Uh, it, it, and what Paul says actually in verse 8 is food doesn't, of Corinthians uh, 1 8, or 1 Corinthians 8, yeah, food does not commend you to God. Whether you eat or whether you don't eat, it, it doesn't matter. Paul says these, these idols have no real power and God is the only one who is real. So it's okay for you to eat the meat that was sacrificed to them because ultimately they're a defeated enemy. There's, there's nothing there that can actually harm you. And that's actually kind of Paul's position on it. But before Paul uh, gets to that, and you can, you can apply this stuff to current issues as well, like we talked about the drinking alcohol one, right? You have people in your life where you might be free to have a beer, but you're not going to have a beer with them right? Um, it could be uh, something like, it can be anything. It could be like uh, vaccines, right? You can say, hey, that's okay. Uh, you, you, your conscience is stricken over that one, so, so it's okay. You should, you should not do it. And those of you who think, yeah, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to take the vaccine. It's all right. And you come to a place of peace uh, around that. There's different issues, different responses in the church. Some of you will say, no, I, I can't do that. I can't have that vaccine. I don't think that's right for me. And some of you say, yeah, it's, I think it's perfectly safe. I think it's okay. What do you do when your worlds collide? What do you do when your worlds collide? And, and Paul sort of states his position in verse four to six about this. He says, yeah, okay, it's okay. Have the meat, but I want you to think about something in a different way. And if we back up to verse one and three, before Paul ever states his position, before he ever says what he feels about his own freedom or what he thinks about meat sacrificed to idols, he addresses our posture towards our knowledge about these things. And I think this is just absolutely fascinating. He addresses our knowledge because we have a sense of knowing. Let's read the text. 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Paul wants to address our sense of knowing. What he's saying here is, let's let's adjust our posture around this confidence that we have, that we know the right answer in this given situation. Let's just adjust that posture because we, we actually think we know. Many of us on, on, on different issues that the church has struggled with, you know, we know. We've, we've done the research. We've looked it up. We've read some blogs. We've seen it on YouTube. Uh, we've read some studies. Whatever it is, we know. Some of us, you know, in, in the Christian church know that it's absolutely okay 
for your kids to go and, and do Halloween and to go get candy. And that's just making friends with your neighbors and opening your door and, and being a friendly person in that place. And you absolutely have researched it, you've looked at it, and you know that's okay. And some of you absolutely know that that's not okay. You know, you've researched it, you've looked at it, and you've said, there's pagan activity behind this. My kids can't participate in this thing that may, may possibly be a demonic thing. You've looked it up, you've researched, you know. Some of you know, you absolutely know, that if we'd navigated the pandemic with a prime minister other than Justin Trudeau, if we'd um, navigated the pandemic with a conservative government, it would have resulted in, in disaster. It would have been oblivious to the needs of people. Help wouldn't have gotten uh, where it needed to go. And Canadians would have suffered so much more if we hadn't had a strong prime minister like Justin Trudeau with sort of a liberal outlook. You, you, we, we would be in a disaster. It would be terrible for Canada. Some of you know that because you, you've done the research. You understand who he is. You, you know where that goes. And some of you absolutely know that Justin Trudeau, hashtag Antichrist, uh, <laughs> is the worst prime minister that we have ever had. And you know it. You absolutely know it because you've researched it. You've looked into it. You understood him. You understand the, the connection to the World Economic Fund and, and all of these other theories that are behind it. And, and you've researched it. You looked at it. You're passionate about it. You know you absolutely know. And some of you uh, know that it's okay for vaccines to be given to your children. You know it's safe. Uh, you, you've seen the studies and your, your kids have looked at it. And, and your kids have turned out kind of okay with a few little quirks. Um, and, 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 and you've seen the studies. Uh, you, you trust the health professionals. You know. And some of you know that vaccines are, are absolutely not okay for children. You've studied it, you've researched it. You've read different studies. You know. You know. We know. And what Paul is saying here, and we want to go back to the, uh, to our, oh yeah, sorry, no, that's right, that's the right slide. All of us possess this knowledge. And Paul is saying something to us here. He's saying that knowing that kind of knowledge is a little bit dangerous for us. That knowing puffs up. On whatever side of whatever issue, that confident knowing puffs up. Don't you feel a little bit more secure and a little bit more happy when you've really landed on the answer? And you know? You feel more secure in your relationships with others. You feel more secure as a person. You feel more together. You feel more like you're on solid ground. And what Paul does with that uh, little play on words, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That puff up is kind of actually means blows up. Puff is a gentle word, but, but knowledge blows you up. But love builds you up. You can have knowledge and an understanding and you have clear definitions and clear boundaries around something in your mind, but not have what is an actual foundation at the center of it. You can be missing something. We actually don't always know everything. And so if we have our confidence 
as human beings in that knowledge of these secondary things. We're in danger of, of being arrogant. And that's what uh, is, is really in that text. Paul's warning us about being arrogant. Your knowledge might not be as complete as you think. And when he gets to this verse, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. He, Paul's, Paul's using an, an interesting word there in that word imagine. It's, it's like if you opinion know, if you think know, if you internally know, you do not yet know as you ought to know. There's a knowing and there's a, a right kind of knowing. And what he's saying here is that, that God actually is the one who has the right kind of knowing. And we don't actually see everything. We don't actually see every variable. We don't actually understand everything that's going around. God sees and knows everything. So we should be cautious about our confidence. And then in, in that last little phrase there, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. What Paul's pointing out is that there is a knowing that we can have, and it can be more solid or less solid. But that knowing pales in comparison to the reality of loving God and being known by him. These things that are at the center are ones, are our belief that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. These things that draw us into worship, that draw us to glorify God, that draw us to give him our hearts, that draw us to serve him. They result in a knowing of him and a being known by him that is the thing that we're actually meant to have confidence in. That's actually meant to build us up and be something that we operate out of that builds others up. So when we think of these secondary issues and these, these things which, which seem so very important to us, Paul calls us back to a humility around them and calls us back to center ourselves around an understanding that, that it, we need to love him. That's what's going to be with us for eternity. Yes. Thousands of years, I've said this last week, thousands of years before Canada was born and thousands of years after its dust, Jesus will be seated on the throne and we Amen. will be Amen. in a loving relationship with him. Hallelujah. And we will be known by him. So we find ourselves unified in that truth. So this different posture of the heart is really critical for us to carry into these issues, into the question of who eats meat and who doesn't eat meat and how do we do that and how does it work? And so once Paul's established that in us, established that, that character, uh, that heart posture towards one another, and that understanding of our, our, that our knowing is, is by far secondary to his knowing of us and our knowing of him, on that foundation, he begins to sort of unpack how do you navigate these issues? How do you do it when uh, your opinion collides with another? Uh, when it comes down to eating meat, sacrificed to idols, and you're uh, going to the marketplace and you have guests coming over and you're not sure where they're at on this issue, how do you, 
have a dinner together. How do you actually do that? First Corinthians 8, 7 to 9 reads like this. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, this is Paul's knowledge about knowledge, uh, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Now, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Remember, uh, Jesus sort of spoke about this in, in his ministry. It's not what comes into your mouth that makes you uh, unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth, right? Uh, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So based on the, your knowledge, based on your understanding, and Paul, he, he's, he's, he's fairly confident that, you know, God is bigger than idols and this is all going to be okay. But, but he says, hey, I'm confident in that. I, I, I have a right to eat whatever meat I want. I, I think it's okay. It doesn't matter if I do or if I don't. Uh, it's okay. I can go ahead and do this. And you can go ahead and do this too. But you need to be careful that you're right we talk a lot about our rights to consume this doesn't interfere with the weak, doesn't become a, a stumbling block to the weak. And, and Paul goes on later to talk about those with a strong conscience and those with a weak conscience. And I want to just take a second to unpack what he means when he says weak here. When we think uh, from our, our, you know, sort of modern North American perspective, when we think of strong and weak, we're thinking quantitatively. Strong is good, weak is bad. And, and so we, if, you, if you read it with, through that lens, you're like, Paul kind of wants you to have, you know, having a weak conscience. How do we talk about that? What, what does it mean to have a weak conscience? Uh, Paul doesn't want you to have a weak conscience. He wants you to have a sensitive conscience. He wants you to have a strong con conscience. He doesn't want to sort of accommodate uh, this idea of, of a weaker conscience. Um, he wants us to have kind of a, a sensitivity to sin, right? We see that in his other writings. So that we're saying, yeah, if something is truly evil, if something is truly wrong, I want my conscience to be pricked by it. I want to notice it. I want to feel it. I want that to hit me in the gut so that I don't behave in that certain way. Um, but with his Hebrew mind, what he's talking about is a, a quality of conscience and a maturity of conscience. He's talking about how does it work? How does your conscience actually work? And, and with younger uh, brothers in the faith who he's talking about in this, in this context, you know, might be like, oh man, I just, I really can't eat that meat that's, that's going to possibly have been sacrificed to idols. He's, Paul's identifying those as people with weaker conscience. What he's actually saying there is, even on a fully formed conscience, your conscience is, is really wound so that uh, you're going to just stay away from anything that is even hints of something that might be off, even though a mature approach might say, yeah, you can go ahead and eat that, that meat. It, it's going to be okay. And what Paul is doing with that a sense of that weaker conscience, he's, he's saying, I actually really want to protect that person with that ultimate, uh, very sensitive conscience. I really want to protect that person for whom it's not okay. 
I really want to guard that because that's, that's going to keep them from falling into sin. That's going to keep your brother or sister who's just off drugs from having a beer with you and, and going and get, getting, uh, you know, drinking alcohol and then going and having a beer with his friends and then going down a bad path uh, into, into drugs and alcohol, you know, wherever he's at. That is going to protect him. And so we want to guard that a little bit, what Paul calls a weaker conscience, but it's actually just not a fully formed, fully discipled, and fully mature con- conscience. And so we need to really guard uh, those among us who, who walk in that, who have that. And that's what Paul is saying here. And he even goes so far in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, 12, uh, he says, Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's immature or unformed, when it's weak, you actually sin against Christ. So this is something for us to take really seriously for those of us who are free in given situations and we feel like we're free. If we, we can actually sin against someone else's conscience, doesn't that make you quake in your boots just a little bit? We're guided by our own conscience. We're guided by our own understanding of what's right, and we want to be free to maneuver in that. But what Paul is saying, hey, hold on, you can actually sin against someone else's conscience. You can actually sin against, uh, against them. And, and actually, when you do that, you're actually sinning against Christ. So Paul is taking our freedom and taking our rights and he's making them absolutely subservient to the needs of other people in community. That flies in the face of our understanding of independence and freedom, doesn't it? But depending on where you're at and on an issue, what you feel about it and how you want to act on it, you don't just look at your own sense of freedom and what you think about it to decide what to do. You look at the brothers and sisters around you and and ask yourself, what do they need you to do? How do they need you to behave? And Paul applies this to himself. We're just continuing to plow uh, through 1 Corinthians uh, 8 through 10. But in in chapter 9 through 18... Uh, Paul actually takes like these 18 verses and, and waxes eloquent on his freedoms, on why he's free, why he has rights. He's talking about his rights as an apostle. Like He can absolutely, uh, because he's appointed by God, because he has this understanding of his freedom, he understands God is big, he understands that, that uh, demons are small, he understands that idols are just idols, and so I'm absolutely free to go ahead and eat meat uh, anywhere I want. I'm totally free. It's my right as apostle. I have that. And in verse 19, he says this, For although I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. And that word is is actually really clear in the Greek. It's actually slave. I am a slave to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew, and he unpacks that for a couple verses. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. He unpacks that. And then he comes back to the question of the weak, those with the weaker conscience that he was talking about in chapter 8. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 
I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. It's not just I act like I need to act in other places. Paul uses a lot stronger language. I become as a Jew. I become as a Greek. I become weak that I might win the weak. And he lets himself fully identify with those who don't have the freedom that he has. He lets himself be fully identified with them. And fully, in a a context where it's necessary for him to do so, he lets himself be who he needs to be. He becomes all things to all people that he might save some and does this all for the sake of the gospel. Does this all so that the witness of the church goes forward in purity. Uh, A little bit later in chapter 10, verse uh, 28 to 29, um, he he says this, because I think this is something that we wrestle with, because it it doesn't seem fair to us. And it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right to me that my conscience should be dictated by another. And Paul's got this little disclaimer in here that's important for us. He's not actually saying, um, you know what, you need to take on the conscience of another person and abandon your conscience. You need to uh, let yourself be led by that other person uh, as out of a sense of love and out of a sense of belonging. So he just sort of unpacks this little disclaimer. If someone says to you, uh, this has been offered in sacrifice, then, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. And he's sort of painted a picture here of being at a meal and you're there and, uh, and, and somebody offers him some meat. He knows that somebody sitting beside him at the table says, hey, that's, that's been offered in sacrifice. And in Paul's inner monologue, he's saying, it's okay, I can, I can do it, I can eat it, it's okay, I'm free to do it. But for the sake of the conscience of that one who informed you, he doesn't eat it, right? But he says this, I do not mean your conscience. Like, for the sake of conscience, I don't mean your conscience, but his. Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience. So he's talking about having an inner liberty, an inner freedom. Like he's not uh, changing who he is. He's not having to alter his beliefs about what's right in this moment. But he acts in identification with the one who is weak. He acts in service of them. He acts so as not to harm or wound or break their conscience while maintaining with inside himself a sense of the conscience that he has, what he's learned, how he's matured, how he's grown. And that's, I think, just a really important posture for us. You can be uh, who you are in your relationship to God. You can uh, sort of work these things out with him. You can uh, pray through an issue, and you can hold on to it, and you can know what God has called you to, and you can know where you're free, and you can be absolutely confident in that and anchored in that um, once you've gone through that posture of humility question. But then you can just take that, and you can set it aside and say, hey, for the sake of others who are in a different place, 
uh, I'm going to act in a different way. And some of you in the body have done this really beautifully. Some of you have not wanted to wear masks at all, and you've worn masks because you've, you've known that, that, that it's how to participate in the body and how to make other people comfortable. And, and some of you have not wanted to come to church at all because it's felt unsafe, and you've come and you've taken that risk because you've wanted to identify with the body and be part of it. It's something that we've, we've done, but I think it's just something we need to call ourselves to more as we come together. Coming back to 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 23, we do this all for the sake of the gospel, that we may share in its blessings. Because we're not meant to have independent, unshared blessing. There's a blessing that is in this thing that is meant to be communal, that is meant to be something that we experience together, that is meant to be something that we own together and that we delight in together and that we share. We're meant to be people who walk in that. And so when we get to night, get, get to, I'm sorry, I didn't change the heading on that. Um, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. This is sort of the end of chapter 10. I'm sorry, I didn't change the uh, reference. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as trying to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And we come back to our mission, and we come back to our purpose. Simon, you can come ahead up with the worship team. All of this, all of this uh, incredible freedom that we have, uh, this incredible relationship with God that we have, uh, this understanding that comes through knowing Him, uh, this ability to walk and navigate and, and come to a sense of, of what we believe is true about these issues that are sort of outside the clear biblical teaching. We take all of this knowledge and all of this freedom and, and all of this ability to navigate independently, and we say, that's not really what I'm after. I'm not really after freedom. What I'm after is Jesus. He's enough for me. He's enough for me. He's enough. I can live in, in unity and relationship with him and passion and worship, glorifying him, uh, whether I, I, I explore these freedoms or not. I can worship him in passion, uh, whether I'm wearing a mask or not. I can worship him passionately, whether I'm vaccinated or not. I can worship him passionately, uh, whether I, my kids go to Halloween or not. I, can, uh, I will just submit myself to, to unity in the community. I will submit myself to the needs of others. Because my freedom isn't really something I need. What I really need is Jesus. He is enough. And I think my prayer for us this morning is just that, uh, you know, as we sort of close out the one series, is that we would really be able to anchor ourselves there. We'd really be able to anchor ourselves in our ones in a life of worship, in a life of devotion, in a life of glorifying Jesus, and that we would be able to come together.
in unity and in peace and navigate all of these questions that we have to wrestle with through the framework of how does this serve my brother or sister more than how does this serve me? Because Jesus is enough. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca. Thank you.